Hello, my name is Ceci Chef from the Enwida team, and you are listening to the Enwida podcast. We have a calling system which gathers anonymous insights from workers on their working lives. And on this short podcast, we hope to bring you the most relevant insights and leading lights when it comes to ethical supply chains. Thank you for joining us today. So today I'm excited to be speaking to a fellow South African, Mervyn Abrahams from the Peter Maritzburg Economic Justice and Dignity Group. Um, Mervyn, yes, how are you, first of all, actually, and how's the weather there in Durban? No, I'm doing very well. I mean, it's getting to the end of the year, so tiredness is setting in. Mm. Um, it's rather overcast um, oh. and rainy, but that's, that's Durban in the summer. Ah, oh, is it? Yeah, because I know you guys are very tropical and sunny always over there, but it uh, makes me feel good to be here also in Cape Town <laughs> with the occasional wind and rain. But exactly. for our listeners, uh, the Peter Maritzburg Economic Justice and Dignity Group is a civil society initiative really focusing on a more just political economy within the South African context with a specific focus on economic inequality, low wages and unemployment. Um, and so what's very fascinating is that you guys constructed this index, which you publish on a monthly basis, I believe. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah, and and in it, it really helps us to understand the ability for low-income households to afford certain goods and services. Um, I'm very eager to hear more about that, Mervyn, but before we get into that, uh, maybe you can tell us a little bit about your working history and explain your passion for addressing food security and decent wages for workers. Thank you. Uh, Well, I mean, I'm probably going to date myself now, but I I started my work life in uh, about 1981-82 in trade unions. So um, it was in the midst of the apartheid era, and I worked in a trade union that was organizing workers in the uh, metal industry, engineering industry. And it was in that context that the issue around wages and the issue around what can we buy with our wages really first consumed me. And and so that idea stayed with me for many years, but then I left trade unions and I was working in church context in the academy. I spent many years in the university. And then finally, for the last, you know, 14 years, been working in uh, NGOs, uh, particularly around issues of economic justice. And so uh, in June 2018, a colleague and I started the Peter Maritzburg Economic Justice and Dignity Group specifically so that we can begin to look at the economy from the perspective of what happens in a household. The numbers of indicators as to how well an economy is doing or not doing. And it just seemed to us that not enough people were speaking about an indicator or a measurement of how well the economy is doing should be reflective on the plates of South African households. So if food is at the basis for human life, human dignity, then surely access to sufficient and nutritious food for those who wish to have it must be an indicator of how well the society and the economy is structured to meet the needs of ordinary people. And, and, and so then we, we started this uh, Household Affordability Index specifically to track basket of food that women in particular in low-income households tell us they buy. So in that sense, it's different from Stats SA's food basket because Stats SA tends to have a very big basket that looks at various kinds of foods and beverages. 
ours focus specifically on what low-income households will buy every month should they have sufficient income. And we track the price of that basket and we also compare it in terms of the national minimum wage to look at wage deficits, etc. And then we also look at the cost of electricity and the cost of transport uh, because these three costs directly impact households, low-income households much more. So that's basically uh, how I got into it. <laughs> the origin of it was in the trade union in the 1980s. Um, and, and what can I buy with my wages? <laughs> so, so it continues into this work today. Mm, and it's, yeah, it's a very fascinating um, index that you've really, um, you and your team compile monthly. Yeah, I would really love to know how it's been affected by COVID-19. And I know specifically this, these uh, stats are, are for South Africa, right? The whole country. Yeah. So, so essentially, if I could just tell you briefly what's in our basket. So uh, we track 44 foods. It's what women tell us they, they, they would buy. And the quantities that we track is for a household of seven, because we know that in lower income households, the, the numbers are bigger. So, so we track maize meal and rice and flour and sugar and sugar beans and samp and cooking oil and potatoes and onions and chicken portions and things like, like milk and mass and eggs and chicken feet and chicken livers. And then some vegetables like tomatoes, carrots, butternut, spinach, cabbage, peppers, uh, and a few fruits like bananas and apples and oranges. And then things like margarine and, and apricot jam and bread and so on. So it's, it, it's kind of very basic foods. And when we look at the prices of this basket uh, during the COVID period, now we saw over the, the COVID period, a massive spike in the price of this basket. It is interesting to know that in the, the last two weeks of the month, so that was just as the lockdown was implemented, our basket immediately spiked, uh, the cost of the basket immediately spiked. And then the Department of Trade and Industry brought out its policy around price, price gouging, and we saw prices stabilize. But on average, we saw in the nine months of COVID, so starting in March, we saw a 10% increase in the cost of our basket, which generally translates into around about $22 um, has been the increase. But when we look at the basket, the cost of the basket over a year to year, so taking it from November 2019 to November 2020, then we see the cost of this basket has increased by 14%, or in dollar terms, by $29. And so currently, the cost of the basket in rand value terms is 4,018 rand and 22 cents. Now, that is really unaffordable for most households because if we compare it to a worker earning a national minimum wage for the month of November would have brought home as wage 3,487 rand and 68 cents. So the cost of the basket in November is well over a minimum wage 
and that's only for food. And of course, we know households uh, have to buy, um, have to spend money on transport, on rent, uh, on electricity, on water, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, so really, what this indicates for us is that our wage, the South African wage trajectory, is much too low, and we need to substantially increase the the value of the wage or we have to create more work opportunities to have more workers in the economy Uh, because when we look at black south africans for instance then we will see that one wage supports 4.4 persons so four people is supported by one wage so so really, the wage levels in South Africa is extremely, extremely low. So, sure. Um, Mervyn, thank you so much for that very detailed um, feedback on the Household Affordability Index. And you've um, really mentioned already some recommendations such as, you know, increasing the value of the wage. Um, who can do what um, really to alleviate these financial pressures on these households? So, I mean, I think, you know, from the angle that we work from, safely is of course the political economy. So, so for us, it's an economic issue. Um, and, 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 and so what we have been saying and calling for is, is greater investment in households, but investment in such a way that households are able to create their own livelihoods. The idea of everyone getting a job, uh, is probably passed in terms of the world of work. We will never be able to create enough jobs. So can we invest either through a basic income grant or through government support systems? Uh, can we create the possibility for ordinary people to create their own livelihoods? So the informal economy, can we bring more people into the informal economy and can we pump more money into the informal economy. And it seems to us that that is a role that the state needs to play as it begins to transform our economic system. Uh, There are also other things like, for instance, the corporate sector. So when we are talking about food, for instance, so so South Africa only has a few major retail companies. Um, These major retail companies need to interrogate again their buying strategies. What I mean by this is, is that very often these big companies, retail stores, buy all their foods from one or two big corporate farms, you know? So for instance, milk comes from one part of the country. Part of the problem with our potatoes and potato prices have spiked massively is because of climatic conditions in Limpopo and a lot of our potatoes are grown in Limpopo. So can we begin to create more local food systems, grow more more foods locally by smallholder farmers, but that will require the retail sector to start buying from smallholder farmers closer to their store. So so it, it means shifting the corporate mindset about how we procure, for instance, the fresh produce that is being sold uh, at retail level. So that's also another area where we can shift our economy uh, in another way and bring more people into 
uh, our economy. Marvin, thanks so much for that very practical advice, uh, shifting the corporate mindset and even the culture of procurement. If I can maybe just, yeah, just ask, I mean, do you have any other advice um, where you can instruct brands today um, about the next steps they could also practically take to pursue a living wage across their suppliers? I I, I think that the post-COVID period is going to be really an important period for the corporate sector and for brands. Uh, It's going to be critical in the sense that people want to trust a brand. I I want to trust that not only do I buy something, but in buying that, I'm improving the life of another human being. And I think the brands that will invest better in making sure that those who are part of the supply chains are are paying uh, living wages, are treating the workers ethically, are purchasing from closer to home and not adding to to our climate change issues, all of those brands will actually be at a premium. uh, uh, And it's those brands that actually will survive in the post-COVID period. Because I think that most consumers are going to, to, to take an ethical approach to where they spend their money. So it will make business sense to Mm. also be ethical in how we approach uh, our supply chains. Uh, and keeping in mind, of course, both workers, but also the environment. Mervyn, you really unlocked uh, such great insight um, about the way and what a lack of a living wage actually means in a worker's life. Um, I suppose just a a final one. Um, Do you have any hope after all the years you've spent working on this subject? Any final words you'd like to leave us with? Yes. I I mean, there is signs of hope. Often we are working in a context that is just problems of the problems and we see the effect of poverty on the ground. But there is hope. There are more and more smallholder farmers beginning to farm. There are people beginning to start their own livelihood. And I am noticing also uh, a shift in the consumer culture of where they buy and why they buy and why they invest in a certain brand as opposed to another brand. And, and I think all of those is are signs of hope that we can begin to restructure our economy in a way that, that provides dignity for all people. Well, that's very encouraging. Um, thank you once again for the time you've just spent with us this afternoon um, and really all the best in all the work that you do. Thank you so much, today. Thank you. That's it from us today. Thank you so much for joining us. Be sure to follow us on our social media platforms to keep up to date with all things and wider and look out for our next installment. Goodbye.